everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 517, World Cup Quarterfinal Preview. with Eddie, or should I call him Daniel Day-Lewis? Because just off air, Eddie said if he wanted to, he could deliver an Oscar-winning performance. No, I did not say want to. I said I'm a big believer. We were talking about improv skills, and I think that improv is way harder than acting, standard acting, and that I think... you could easily be an actor. I think anyone, given the correct role could deliver an Oscar worthy performance. Pretty I, so I when add I say that to your resume. When I say yeah, sure. When, when I say you say anyone, you really mean you. Yeah. No, I mean I mean 60-70% of the population. Okay. Like so could ex ex host of the podcast Sam co-host of the podcast, could Sam give an Oscar winning performance? Yes, in the right role. Yes. All of my friends. What, what is Sam's right role? <laughs> I don't want to get into that, but all of all of my friends, like I believe you could, given because I think most actors are just playing versions of themselves, right? I think it's rare. Daniel Day Lewis is an example of an actor who's more than that, but I think most people are just playing themselves, and they've just become comfortable enough with the concept of pretending. Like it's just that it's just not feeling. It's overcoming the challenge of feeling weird pretending to do something and i think with the right director the right role the right circumstances i think you could get most people to feel somewhat comfortable doing that and have them look like an extremely good actor but you in particular you could definitely do it uh i'm not saying i would be any better at it than say you or any of my friends but i i'm adamantly believe that all of us now i'm not saying that anyone should go out and cast us to be in movies that isn't my point. I would love to be cast in a movie. <laughs> yeah. But like if there was some role all of a sudden, I don't know. And I think there's plenty of examples of this, right? There's plenty of people who've never acted who then become great actors. There's plenty of people who yeah. aren't actors who get stuck into movies and deliver great performances. So I'm not, I'm not talking completely out of nowhere in saying this. And again, I, there's still difference. They're skilled actors. There is a difference between just every person it would be about finding that exactly, you know, specific, correct role for you and exactly the right circumstances. That's probably never going to happen. But anyway, it was mostly complimenting improvisation people because I could not do improv. That's for sure. I don't know. Actually, I'll give you a compliment. I think you could decently do improv because I think a lot of improv is – I mean, just being able to kind of go with the flow and it, like quickly and intelligently think of things. I appreciate it. In terms of the references and stuff, I think I could do it. I just, uh, I think I feel too stupid. I think that would be being on stage I, I, and being. I, I, I agree. I, I think you, you couldn't get past the fact that you are on a stage and you look like a dork in front of a bunch of people trying to make like an occasional good joke, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, a lot of the jokes are going to be pretty corny and not land. Yeah. And the willingness to fail. 
Yeah. Um, that's not, a nightmare for you. Yeah, I'm not a huge... I mean, you rarely, if ever, fail to begin with, right? I'm, I'm so. still waiting for the first time in my life. <laughs> and when it comes, it will be painful. <laughs> but no, um, no, I don't, I'm not a huge fan. But I guess it's contextual failure. Like in sports, I was never afraid of failing. You know, like that... In Again, that... I mean, there's not many on the records. <laughs> well, I'm surprised I'm not... I'm surprised, really, I'm not playing this weekend. It's uh, a guaranteed win for England if they'd involved me. Never lost a World Cup quarterfinal in my life. Too bad. Too bad you won't play for France. No. Yeah. I'm <laughs> they all... might be able to use. I, after that podcast, after the last podcast came episode came out, I did get a couple feelers from some of the France players. Mbappe sent me a message. He said, "You know, we might need you. You're a year younger than Giroud. You could probably press a little bit better than him." Uh, but I said, "I said too bad. I'm England through and through." And, you know uh, what? I think speaking of that, <laughs> you bring up Drew. I think we missed an opportunity to promote the podcast when we had Alion, who said he resembles Olivier Giroud. And I don't know if you saw, but there's that Neymar lookalike that's going through Qatar and is getting on the fields and taking pictures with people. We could have sent Ollie in um, and pretended to be Olivier Giroud. And then when he got caught, he could have said, <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just an occasional uh uh, contributor to the Big Chill podcast, go check us out. <laughs> I don't think that would have made us look good. I gave Ollie the compliment on the last episode that I thought he looked more like Giroud than I am close to Benzema in terms of technical skills, but we're still both. <laughs> I love that you think that's a compliment. <laughs> we're still. Because the fact that you think you're that close to Benzema, no. to think that that's a compliment to Ollie. <laughs> I think I look more like Olivier Giroud than you do to Benzema's performance. But we're still we're still talking worlds apart here, right? So uh, I don't um, I don't think that he's going to get by. He's not going to be able to sneak by security claiming to be Olivier Giroud. Let me put it that way. He might in a lineup if you said which current French international footballer does this player does this person look the most like? He maybe gets the Olivier Giroud vote, but he's not, you know, putting on a tracksuit and suddenly in the middle of the pitch. We're going to get a backlash from him for for this, I know, but he's going to have to live with it. <laughs> well, maybe we can get him on again to defend himself. So we have normally started World Cup, but uh, we kind of already teased the matchup so we, we can get into a little more detail of your predictions for the upcoming matchup. So I want to switch it and start with the NFL. And uh, I want to bring in one of our one of our good friends, Bill Barnwell, who we uh, like to debate the Bill Barnwellisms he likes to put out there on, on ESPN. And it's just mostly, an... just so our listeners understand, it's mostly one concept that Bill Barnwell believes in, which is that there is no such thing as momentum in sports. And that gets both of us worked up. It's, yes. But it's... I also think like we, we do often talk about like when he puts up a ridiculous list, we debate whether For it sure. makes sense or For not. For sure. But it's that one fundamental principle. And it's that one kind of time where it's like, okay, you, you do statistics, but you've never really played sports. Because if you've yeah. ever played sports, you know momentum exists. Because you've either been a team suddenly feeling confident and that the tides have shifted, or you've been in the reverse and been a team that suddenly it's like, uh oh, we're on the back foot and this is slipping away from us. And anyone who's played sport to pretty much any level 
will have... Or anyone who's watched a high school football game. No, but I, <laughs> as a viewer, I can understand you can dismiss it because from a statistical basis, that's what you can do. But if you've been there, if you've played, you've experienced either one of those things. Like it's impossible to say no such thing as momentum. And we're going to see momentum this weekend in World Cup matches, for example. So Bill Barnwell put out a article ranking the 2020 NFL draft QBs, Burrow, Tua, Herbert, and Hertz. And they were drafted with uh, Burrow being drafted first, and then Tua, the number five pick, uh, and then Herbert, the number six pick, and then Jalen Hertz was the 53rd pick. Now, if you were to redraft them, how would you draft them? So this is how he redrafted it. No, just for I, context. He, I, can oh, I go okay, first? Because I think it's yeah. I'd probably take Tua first. Joe wow. Burrow second. Wait, you're going to take Tua first, the guy who last podcast episode <laughs> you said is the most replaceable QB <laughs> in the playoffs. I said out of a contender this year, and I actually frame that as being a compliment to the Dolphins that they could withstand oh. losing their quarterback. Yes. Um, oh, and three without him, but still, continue. <laughs> I'm taking Tua first, yeah. I'm taking okay. Joe Burrow second. Um, and wait, who's the uh, – Herbert is the fourth, right? Herbert and Hertz. It's close between them. I think, honestly, at this point, I take Hertz and then Herbert. So he went Burrow first, Hurt second, Tua third, and Herbert fourth. I would slightly disagree. I would probably go <laughs> Herbert first. <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. I, well, I don't. I I, I can defend it because I don't think it's insane because his first two years he had the best first two years out of any of them. And then this year, he's having the worst year out of the four, but he's lost his starting O-tackle and his starting center, who are both pro bowlers. So he has no one on the line, and he's lost, at times, both his receivers. I don't, so he literally has no one to throw to and no one to block to. See, I don't no like the, with. oh, he had the best first two years, because Joe Burrow had a catastrophic injury. Tua came into the league with a catastrophic injury, so... You know, the, the, you're picking and choosing the context there of like when, when sort of other issues matter. The reality is, by the end of this season, all of them, bar Justin Herbert, will have won a playoff game. Are we sure about that? Two is the only one I would be less certain about. I'm, I'll go out. And I think I, I think I would go Herbert first. I think because I think the skill set is the best there from a throwing perspective. And from a comeback perspective, he is, seems to be a gamer. Him and Burrow, I think, out of those four so far, have shown to be the, a gamer the most. I, I, I mean, I don't know. The, he has the most fourth quarter comebacks in the NFL since he was a rookie. Yeah, that's both a compliment Herbert. and an insult, though. Because it's just, oh, well, you fall behind a lot, too. You know, like there's, it's always one of you, in a short, in a short time span, it shows that you don't really control games or produce four quarters of excellent play. And so and why do you put Tua up? For, let me ask you this then. Why is Tua first for you? Someone who literally has about six good games to his resume so far. I think Tua is the most talented. 
So, I mean, it depends what you're asking me, how I'm redrafting them. I'm, I'm assuming if I'm saying I'm going into this year's draft, they're suddenly re-entering the draft in their current format with their current experience and with everything I've seen sort of on tape there. I think two is the most talented. And I think the question See, marks... See, but this is interesting to me because this is a guy who rips on Saquon Barkley as not being the best running back because he can never put together a full season. And you're talking about Tua being drafted first, who have yet to see put together a full season and won't this year because he's already missed, what, four? Yeah, but that wasn't – I mean, I'm the major concussion that the Dolphins allowed him to suffer from, I'm not going to hold against him. And I'm not going to – But he's, ex- also just, he's also broken his leg too. Yeah, so, that I was mean, a different – He's injury prone. Well, is Joe Burrow injury prone? He has one injury. So your argument for Justin Herbert is least likely to get injured. That's like your. But I, I'm just saying you. But but you knock Saquon for the exact same reason. No, he clearly I is knock, probably the most athletic and most talented running back. I but knock you Saquon. Say no, no, no. He no. can't put together a full season. He's injury prone. I knock Saquon Barkley because I don't believe that running backs are worth putting any stock into. And that for the most part, they're plug and play and that there's no point in drafting a running back in the first round and that there's no point really re-signing a running back under pretty much any circumstances and that you can just let them go, stick a new one in, and you're not going to see, if assuming you've got good play calling and a decent offensive line, you're not going to see a huge difference from one to the other. And I think the last 10 years of the NFL have pretty much shown that to be correct because you are stretching what you say. No, that is what I say. I'm just saying, would I, my knock on Saquon Barkley was a wasted pick. That's my criticism of the Saquon because there's no point taking a running back that high up the draft. And added to my criticism of why it was a wasted pick is not only do I think they could have got the production that they have had from Saquon Barkley from someone drafted fifth round, sixth round, maybe even undrafted potentially, but on top of that, he's also hurt all the time. So, like, not only is he not delivering... Wait, wait, but you just said it there in that first part. So you think Saquon is not better than someone, a fifth, sixth, or undrafted person? I think he's... He is te- one of the most athletically gifted players in the NFL. I think he's technically better. But do I think he produces... Like, to me, there's only one running back in the NFL right now who I would say is substantially different from everyone else. And that's Derrick Henry. And if you want to draft Derrick Henry, he will make your running game look good instantly because he's just an absolute beast. And he'll run people over. He doesn't need holes to run through. He'll make holes. So, but from every other running back in the NFL, until you get into like the hybrids, like Christian McCaffrey becomes interesting not so much for his run game almost, but because of how you can use him in your pass game. And, but Saquon Barkley, which who, Saquon Barkley has also been effective for the Giants this year in the pass game. I'm not, I'm not saying he isn't before we get the criticism that I don't, I don't watch Giants games and I don't see all the catches he has and stuff. I get it. I'm just saying great player, but I don't know, Raheem Mostert in the same system. What is it? five, ten yards less a game, maybe. I don't think it's changing the Giants' season. I don't think they're losing wins because they don't have Saquon Barkley there. So Okay, so what's your number two, Burrow? Or Hurts? My number two is Burrow. And I would say there's a significant gap 
Tua and Burrow to the other two for the time being. And then Jalen Hurts, I need to see more from. And then Herbert, I need to see meaningful delivery from. Because to me, it's just like we've made Philip Rivers slightly more attractive right now. That's all I see. And we're gonna I'm gonna live through another 15 years of people like you telling me, but Justin Herbert's such a great quarterback, but he just his team's never that good. Or this guy got injured, or his division's really hard, and all those things. And meanwhile, every other really great quarterback out there, because they're a really great quarterback, makes their team really good and wins their division because they're really good and wins playoff games because they're really good. But we get these these weird guys who get these passes at times for reasons I don't know. I think you're just ranking the quarterbacks more in terms of like order you'd most like to sleep with. I don't know when. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's... All right. What about, I, I mean, what about someone like Andrew Luck? Was Andrew Luck a great QB? Yes. He was four and four in the postseason. Wow. That's still eight games. In, in eight seasons. Yeah. Well, let me know when Justin Herbert gets to two and we'll talk. Okay. Let's get, let's get a playoff win and then, well, maybe we can start the conversation. But you're going to take someone first who hasn't even been in the playoffs. Yeah, but I think he's going to be. I think the sample size on Tua is too low right now to make him the number one. I would be okay with Burrow as the first pick. I think the sample size is bigger there, and you're right. He has the playoff experience. Also, Tua has, like it or not, he's got college a college playoff resume that shows he wins stuff. and that he, Except when he loses. Yeah, but that he, no one wins every time, man. So like, But who beat him? <laughs> but that doesn't matter. Not Justin Herbert. I'll tell you that much. You know, Justin Herbert, like it's it's the college football parallel. Justin Herbert's Ohio State. He's just sitting back and he's like, we didn't get to play the extra game, so we can't hurt ourselves. And Justin Herbert's <laughs> reputation is going to be like, I don't lose in the playoffs. I never get there, but I never lose there either. You know, it's it's Justin Herbert's like me saying, never lost an England, never lost a World Cup quarterfinal. It's it's that kind of statement. You're never going to hurt your reputation because you're never going to put yourself in the situation where you get to fail. And these other two players have been in the situation to fail. Sometimes they've failed. Sometimes they've succeeded. I've at least seen them take a team there. I've at least seen them perform under that level of pressure. Justin Herbert's just out there in a you know, stadium that's half filled on games. No one's watching with a team. Most people can't even remember which city they even play in right now. And just slinging the ball around. And sometimes they lose by 30 and sometimes they win by 30. And at the end of the day, no one really cares. That's Justin Herbert. All right. Well, we'll have to see once Tua makes the playoffs how he does. But you can't come back to me. Tua loses his first playoff game. You can't be like, well, there we go. That's proof. Oh, I absolutely. I, I know can. you will. I absolutely 100% can. I know you will. You shouldn't be able to because, again, the I fact... I should be able to. No, because the fact that he got that, he shouldn't be punished for getting there. That's the whole point is you shouldn't be, by make, taking yourself to the playoffs, you shouldn't be punished for failing. Like, I don't go, Joe Burrow never won a Super Bowl went to his only Super Bowl and lost. Like, I'm not going to be critical of him for getting to a Super Bowl and losing. He has that over every other quarterback we're discussing here. So I guess the last one, the last good discussion point out of this is 
Tua versus Fields because obviously they have this. I I mean, they say that they're still kind of friends, and I don't know if that's true or if that's them just kind of being you know friendly within the media. But obviously, uh, sorry, not Fields, Hurts. Sorry, Hurts and uh, Tua. You know, notoriously, Tua took over Hurts' spot, and then Hurts ended up leaving Alabama. You take Tua over Hurts right now. For the time being, yes. But everyone in that top three could change that order for me this season. Herbert can't. Herbert could change his ranking over the next couple of years, but he's not shifting into the top three for me this year, unless something extraordinary. I mean, I don't think the Chargers are making the playoffs, right? But I, he's just like a happy loser to me at the moment. And I'm not taking the happy loser over the players who are competing to turn their teams into winners. I mean, it's, it's, I think the Tua hurts argument is tough because I think Tua is a better passer and he's a more accurate passer, but hurts has that, that other characteristic of not being afraid to run the ball, having an offense that can be shaped around him, not only throwing, but running. And then what that threat of running does to the passing game. I think is is a really nice wrinkle and a good addition. I'm just nervous that he's going to get demolished one day running the ball too much, and that's going to be the end of his running career. And then you have to rely on him to be more of a pocket passer. Not he'll never be a pocket passer, but a, a less mobile passer. No, I, I do think that's the reason why I wouldn't put Hertz. Hertz is of the three of them, of the four of them, right? He's having the best season. Like he might end up winning the MVP this year. So this year. Hertz is obviously the best quarterback in terms of, you know, over the whatever 13 weeks we've had so far this season. And so I'm not going to deny that bit. I do agree with you. I don't use the term gimmicky to be dismissive, but it just feels like with any run first quarterback, sooner or later, things start to fall apart for them. And that in particular, that tends to happen. I mean, we've had this discussion about why I don't think the Eagles will win the Super Bowl it tends to happen in the playoffs. It's like the Ravens problem that they always have. They can have these unstoppable offenses, and then you get to a playoff game, and teams play a bit differently, and you're up against great defenses, and they can take away, you know, they they can't completely take it away, but they can turn Lamar Jackson from a 120-yard a game, you know, rushing yards a game to suddenly 60, and it's like, well, now you, you, you're a completely different-looking offense. And that, to me... With Hertz, maybe over time he'll evolve slightly, which we've seen from some quarterbacks who've been run first predominantly as they do evolve into slightly more. Even Josh Allen, right? He's had a little bit of a career evolution in his time in the NFL. He still runs with the ball, but not nearly as much as he did early on. And uh, we saw it with Russell Wilson for sure. Now that's fallen off a cliff in the last 12 months, but... There was a career evolution there. We've even seen it with Patrick Mahomes, who was much more of a kind of run-first guy originally than he is now, um, not to the degree of Jalen Hurts. but Yeah, I mean, the issue with comparing Hurts to Allen, right, is Allen is much bigger, so he can probably handle the hits a little better. I mean, Josh Allen, I think, is like, what, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, six, 240, and Hurts, I think, is like 6'1". Uh, so definitely a difference in size. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, it's, we'll have to see. 
Last thing is, what do you think the QBR rankings are on them? So, um, this season, just this season, QBR rankings out of those four. Maybe Jalen Hurts first. Uh, Justin Herbert second. Burrow third. Tua fourth. Are you watching this NFL season? I don't. I'm, I'm just trying to. I don't know if you're throwing. <laughs> Throwing something at me, trying to complicate. So Tua is first, uh, and Tua is actually second overall in the league, just right behind Mahomes. Knew he was amazing. Uh, and then Hertz is fourth overall. Um, Joe Burrow is eleventh overall, and Herbert is thirteenth overall. Knew he sucked. Knew he sucked. Jimmy G is eighteenth overall, and Trey Lance is. Currently bagging groceries at supermarket, it says. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know why you think that's going to hurt me. I'm all in on Purdy. <laughs> oh, Purdy says also bagging groceries during the week, playing on Sunday. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, any other NFL topics you wanted to cover before we get on to the, the main event? I mean, maybe just... Are there any games this week that uh, are of interest to you? Not not a great matchup week in the NFL. I think not worthy um, of dedicating time to over World Cup quarterfinals. No. Yeah, I mean, the only one would be Tampa Bay, San Fran, and we kind of mentioned that a little bit uh, last podcast. So, And I guess the only thing I will say is we'll get to see a nice matchup of these two quarterbacks as the Sunday night flex game will be the Dolphins versus the Chargers. So Tua versus Herbert. Yeah, and I look forward to Herbert piling on some yardage in the you know third and fourth quarters down 20 so that he can say, look, I got the 300 yards. And we'll all be impressed. Yeah. I like to see that too, but for the win. All right. Anyway, on that note, let's, let's, get, let's shift on from a meaningless weekend of NFL fixtures and talk about the largest sporting event in the world. Where would you like to start? I never know with you. Do you want to do it in – I would personally prefer to do it in the order of the fixtures rather than – Although I guess it's the order of the fixtures. It's now it's the, almost the same. Yeah, it's it's the it's the two fixtures on one side of the draw and then the two fixtures on yeah. the other. But okay, so the first fixture will be the Friday early game, and that will be Croatia versus Brazil. Is this is this a runaway? Uh, I don't think you. I don't think you have. I would be surprised. You don't have that many World Cup quarterfinals that are, you know, one team just absolutely wipes the floor with the other. I do think Brazil will qualify and they'll just have too much for uh, Croatia. I think the, the the biggest issue, obviously, we're talking about one of the oldest teams in the World Cup, if not the oldest in Croatia. And, you know, they're coming off the back of having played extra time and penalties. So even more tired than they would have been under normal circumstances. A Brazil team that's pretty well rested. Brazil are actually the only team going into this World Cup quarterfinal to have used, to have actively used every player in their 26-man squad. A little bit misleading because they had their third-choice goalkeeper just as a, a named substitute. But still, there's been, in the match day squad, they've had every member of their overall World Cup squad be active. And... Whereas Croatia have uh, only used, I think they've used the fewest players so far, just 18 players have. So it's pretty much the same teams they're rolling out every match. And 
you saw it to a degree even against Japan. I think the the real issue for Croatia is even if things go extremely well for them, even if they can keep the match really close, at some moment in time, just because of the age of those players, they had to take them off. Like they had to take Modric off against Japan, and that's a problem when you're then playing against superior opposition. It's like, well, even if we're nil nil, at some point we have to weaken ourselves. And that isn't really the case for Brazil. So I think Brazil will just have too much for them. I could see a scenario in which Croatia do keep this close. And, you know, if they can get to the 50, 60th minute mark without conceding, they might grow in confidence in terms of their ability to get a goal on the break. But I think this could be like a repetition of the World Cup final against France four years ago, where ultimately it's pretty one-sided. Yeah, I think, you know, you're looking at a team in Croatia with, with outside of that match against Canada, they've scored two goals in their other uh, three matches, right? Um, sorry, five, four matches. So not scoring very much. I guess the question is, will they be able to stop Brazil? Is there a move to try and control the ball? and just try and control possession no. or do they just sit back and try and hold on? No, they're going to absorb and, and just they're going to absorb pressure. Are they going to park the bus, Eddie? Well, I think they'll <laughs> According to Ted Lasso. <laughs> no, that's not a Ted Lasso thing. Just before we upset uh, non-Ted Lasso. I know, I'm saying that we we argued about it on our Ted Lasso. I think uh, I think to quote Jose Mourinho, they're not going to just be parking the bus in this. They're going to be parking the airplane. Because that's what Jose Mourinho used to say when Inter Milan played, it was a question of parking the bus is just blocking the goal. Parking the airplane is blocking the wings as well. And I think they're just going to sit, you know, you're going to see consistently 10, 11 Croatian players in their own half. And yeah, they'll try and absorb pressure. They'll try and make Brazil play in front of them, pass sideways. They'll be very happy. They won't be concerned if at halftime it's nil-nil, but Brazil have had 60, 65, 70% of the ball. Like, that won't be their issue. They'll then try and figure whether it's set pieces or, you know, showing a little bit of initiative on the break sometimes, try and threaten. But it's just a, it's a very difficult matchup for them. So I don't really know if you're in the Croatian camp what you think the game plan is that really, apart from a little bit of luck and good defending, I don't know what it is what you can kind of think of as being the strategy that helps you beat this Brazilian side because I mean, Cameroon are the only ones who've really maybe shown the way. And that was riding their luck for 90 minutes and then eventually snatching a goal. I guess Switzerland kind of kept it quite close, but yeah, it's not, they're going to create chances. So it's then becomes a question of whether or not they take them and this Croatian side, it's difficult to see how they can score with any ease. Prediction? Uh, I'll say two or three nil Brazil. Yeah. It's kind of what I, I think about two, two nil. Next match would then be the Netherlands versus Argentina. And that's the after, Friday afternoon or Friday, I guess, night there. Yeah, we won't. Yes, it's well, it's it's quite late at night there, uh, evening for our European listeners. But yeah, it's if you're in Qatar, it's I think this is like 11 o'clock at night, this kickoff time. Yeah, but um, it's an interesting one. 
again, it's kind of two defensive teams going up against each other. Uh, Argentina have been a little bit more dominant in their matches so far. Uh, they've certainly dominated in terms of chances created. Uh, when we've gone through like the XG comparisons, they've also had 58 attempts on goal. They've only had their opponents have only had 16 attempts. Uh, the Netherlands, 51 attempts on goal, but have had 35 against them. So in both of them being a bit more defensive-minded, the Netherlands have probably allowed the opposition to create a bit more than Argentina have. At the same time, the Dutch have actually scored more goals than Argentina have so far in this competition. So this is basically like how much magic do you think Lionel Messi has left in him, in a way? Because I think overall the Dutch are probably the better team. But you've got Messi. And so far, he's been pretty good this World Cup. I think I'm going to... Three goals, yeah? Yeah, I think I'm going to give Argentina in a, what is I think will be a pretty boring match, a tense match, like boring from a chances created, free-flowing football, I think will be interesting because it will be tight. Uh, I think Argentina will just slightly edge it. But that's maybe me giving Messi too much credit in an Argentina team that hasn't actually shown that much so far in this World Cup. Now, do you think this is going to be the Netherlands are going to have the same approach that they had against the U.S., where they kind of let the U.S. control it in midfield but kind of prevented them from getting into the final third and then kind of had a, a lot of nice counters and, and, and plays like that? Or do you think they have to adjust this against Argentina because they're a little too – a little stronger offensively than the U.S. was, and they don't want to risk that. No, I think both of these teams are quite happy letting the other team have possession of the ball in the midfield, or and that's going to be the thing. Something's got to give because they kind of, kind of yeah. both allow each other to do that. So it will be interesting to see uh, which, and I think it's probably Argentina who are more likely to just show a little bit more in attacking intent because of the Messi factor and because that's the only way they can get him involved in the match. So I think it's more likely to be Argentina who will be on the front foot, but still not dominant in any way, I don't think. But, you know, both of these teams, the the Netherlands have played the same way throughout this entire tournament, even against weaker opposition. So I don't think that will change dramatically for them. But I don't know. It could go either way, but I'll give the slight edge to Argentina. Yeah, I think for me, this is the most likely match for an upset. And I know that's an easy thing to say because I think most people are probably saying that. But I I think the Netherlands will win. And I'm not saying this based off of the fact of how they played against the U.S. And that, what you know, you're hearing a lot of people over here in the, in the States saying that, you know, like, Netherlands is great. They were such a good team. Like, this is a team that can win it all and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, we just lost to what could be the best team. And I don't think that's – I'm not saying that because – that's not what I think, but watching their all of their matches together, I think they're a little more complete team than Argentina that seems to still kind of rely on Messi a little bit. And I, I think they have a good enough roster. I think they have a good enough group of players that they can contain Messi enough and, and outplay them. Look, any team with Messi is going to rely on Messi. He's maybe the greatest. No, I know. No, I know, but sometimes right. it's, it's like it's, I don't want to be critical of France when I say France are heavily relying on Mbappe. When you have either the great, you know, in the case of Messi, quite possibly the greatest player of all time. In the case of Mbappe, quite possibly the best player in the world at the moment. 
of course you're going to rely on them. You know, the Netherlands would, if you stuck Messi into the Netherlands team, they would rely on Messi. Like that's just the nature of you stick that kind of uh, incredible talent into your team. You rely on them because you're dumb not to. But I mean, maybe what about Brazil though? What do you mean? What about them? And not having to rely on Neymar as much. I think they rely on Neymar quite a bit, but I think Neymar is a different type of player. He's not on the ball quite as much. That's just the way he plays. So it's a it's a little bit of a different comparison. It's a it's harder to run all of your play through Neymar than it is through Messi or even through Mbappe. But yeah, I I don't know. I think and this and also this Argentinian team is packed with other talented players. It's just Argentina in are naturally a more defensive playing sort of style of play. It's just the way Argentina always play football. And so they will default to that. But I don't know. I think when you get to this stage, I don't know if this is necessarily the most likely upset, but I, 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 yeah, I, I, I think Argentina will edge it, but who knows? In terms of, so I guess the other thing I want to ask you about this match, we'll move on to the, the Saturday ones, is... I mean, a very cliche thing to say is that Messi has a lot of pressure on him. I mean, I think every great player on a great team has pressure on them when you get to this stage. But do you think he is feeling that pressure now at his age, still not having won this tournament and being compared to other Argentinian greats who have? Do you think that actually weighs on him? Well, he's only compared to one, right? It's Maradona. It's it's, And I don't think his concern is where he stands within the sort of pantheon of uh, Argentinian football. It's winning a World Cup would probably push him over the edge in terms of being the greatest player of all time. I think it would take away the arguments that people level against him in some respects. I think that obviously weighs on him. We've seen it in the past where he's put in disappointing performances in some World Cups. I think the fact that they won... uh, the Copa America last time out. And so he has at least an international trophy on his CV might make him feel a little bit less stressed about it, but it's his last ever world cup. You know, I think every player, it's the last go, go round. He'll be feeling that pressure. Ronaldo would be feeling that pressure. You know, Luka Modric, there's a, there's a whole long list of players playing at this stage of the competition who Olivier Giroud, you, know, you can go really through them who will never be playing in a World Cup again. So I don't think I don't think that will be the thing that determines how well he plays or whether or not Argentina will win. I'll put it that way. But of course he'll be feeling the pressure. So then we move to Saturday and we have the early Saturday game, and that's Morocco and Portugal. Is this a uh, end of the Cinderella story? I think so. You know, I think it's difficult to really have too strong of a case. Uh, you know, they're the lowest remaining scorer in the competition, Morocco. Okay, maybe they've been the most impressive defensively, but they're up against the joint highest scorers in Portugal. All right, you can say that their six goals in the last round kind of shifts shifts that particular statistic. I, It's just, you know, Morocco have shown so far that they are going to sit back, absorb pressure, and hope to defend for their lives. And they defend incredibly well. They're extremely organized. Anyone looking for impressive sort of defensive 
structure and organization, Morocco is the first place to look. Uh, and also when you look at just the buy-in that all of those players have, you know, someone like Hakim Ziyech, who's in no way associated with being a hardworking, tireless midfielder who tracks back, but in this Moroccan side, that's exactly what he does. So, you know, from them, the sort of team ethos, every single player is on the same page, and that's impressive, and that can be difficult to beat. But Portugal have a lot of attacking talent, and realistically, if they can get a goal, then it takes Morocco really out of their comfort zone, right? Like their whole approach is dependent upon the fact that they don't concede. And I don't love that when you get to this stage of the competition. I guess the big question is, it looks as if Cristiano Ronaldo won't play. Some reports said that he asked to leave the squad after not being, after not starting. Portugal have come out and said that those reports run true, but who knows? Uh, yeah, I think Portugal will just have too much for them. Will score. Obviously, they've they've played each other in recent history too. They they were in the same group in the 2018 World Cup, so uh, they have some recent history against each other. But I think yeah, Portugal will get the goal that will break Morocco, and then once Morocco have to show a little bit more attacking intent, then I think, uh, you know, things could, the game could open up and Portugal could suddenly be scoring two or three. Yeah. I mean, Morocco did beat them 3-1 in 1986. So if they can only replicate that form of, of 35 years ago, <laughs> they I might have a chance here. I, so you bring in the Ronaldo part after United interesting what happened and and how it makes him look there how does what's happening right now make him look not good you know i think overall just the last six weeks two months for him have been really bad from a legacy standpoint i think he could have handled the united situation better and said look i was a great teammate they wanted to get rid of me for different reasons eric ten Hag hasn't handled the situation well i was kind of forced out Yes, I would have liked it to have gone better, but you know, this it was kind of not my own doing. But then he really forced United's hand and got his contract terminated. And then you have this situation where he hasn't responded that well to not starting. And he I mean he had the issue that he didn't respond well to being substituted against South Korea, which is then was part of the incentive or kind of reason behind him not starting in the match uh, against Switzerland, or at least the excuse that could be used, which, you know, I think that's the problem with Ronaldo. I don't think he's realizing that this moment in time, he has to stop giving people excuses not to play him or to force him out because he is not contributing in the way that he used to. And the only thing keeping him kind of relevant is the fact that he's still Ronaldo and as soon as you start becoming more trouble than you're worth, people will find a way out for you. And so, I don't know, maybe he, maybe hopefully there's people around him who are smart enough to say, you probably won't be starting for the rest of this World Cup, but there's a good chance Portugal are going to be in the World Cup semifinals, who, know, who maybe knows in a final. And if you come off the bench to score the winner in a World Cup final, no one's going to remember that you were on the bench. No one's going to remember that you were a substitute. Like you have an emo- you still have the opportunity within this tournament to add to your legacy and people will forget whether or not you were starting. So I think hopefully common sense prevails, but 
recent history with, with Ronaldo would show you that it won't. And this will damage, yeah. you know, no one likes to sort of gracefully fade away. He definitely isn't. This Yeah, this is a very quick, ungraceful. <laughs> this is not fading. <laughs> Nothing's fading about this. This is abrupt. And it's, I guess, not unfortunate, because obviously it's great for Portugal, but unfortunate for Ronaldo that the match that, you know, his replacement puts in the first hat trick in in World Cup this year. So not not a good look when you're trying to argue that you should be in the starting lineup. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think... There's not a lot of strong arguments for why he should start. It goes back to what we discussed on the previous episode in terms of how it changes the way they play and the pressing and the pace that they have up front. And just there's a limitation to having Ronaldo. It's the problem that United had with him. He's a, but I think he still clearly thinks, though, right, that he should be starting. I, I think he thinks he's Ronaldo. And I think that's... You know, in the same way that I think if he stuck Michael Jordan on an NBA team tomorrow, he probably thinks he should be starting. You know, like there's part of the thing that makes you that great of a player is is that mindset, and that's not going to change. Now, maybe it takes more skilled managers to manage to handle that. You know, that might be the real thing, and that's not to put the take the blame away from Ronaldo, but you might need a particular set of man management skills here that neither the Portuguese manager or the Manchester United managers who have had him have had recently. And that might be the bigger problem here is that he needs to find someone who either he respects enough or who has those abilities to deliver the message in the right way, where he starts to understand you still have an important role, but it's maybe not the role that you're imagining. And, you know, cause he could be the difference maker for Portugal because they're going to be in a tight game at some point in the remainder of this tournament. And the idea of Cristiano Ronaldo coming off the bench is going to worry, yeah. you know, everyone, even if it's not Cristiano Ronaldo of 10 years ago, it's still going to be, you're going to be watching him, you know, standing on the touchline with his number going up on the substitutes board and think, Oh wow, Cristiano Ronaldo is coming on. Like that's a little bit different to, Oh, well, you know, I don't know, whoever name any other player on any other team being subbed on, you know, it's it's not quite the same impact. So he still has a role to play. Hopefully he doesn't do so much damage that he can't even deliver on that. Yeah, and you're right, because that is the shame. He would be, you know, a prime super sub if he can wrap his head around the fact that he can make a great contribution and be a great super sub. But it, it part of me wonders if he's put in that role, if he's going to go out there like all pissy and whether it will affect his performance, you know, like just the attitude you on the bench when you watch it's, it's, it's sad to watch this, his general demeanor. Yeah. He, but he's always been like that, you know, and that was part of the challenge. <laughs> I know that was but... part of the challenge when he was young, and, you know, Ferguson was one of the few managers who really got through to him and and managed to rein in some of that more petulant, childish behavior, which limited when him when he was a young player. I think a lot of people, either because they're too young to remember Ronaldo's early years at United or because of everything that he's gone on to achieve, they've kind of forgotten them. But, you know, he didn't exactly hit the ground running at United. He was this player they signed from Portugal who came in and was, you know, great at doing step overs and kind of did all these somewhat meaningless tricks and there was occasionally no end product and he just looked like 
you know, super flash, but no, as if there was nothing to show for it. And and the United, the senior United players there, who he really respected, and Alex Ferguson were able to sort of mold him into something better. Did you say mold him. I was going to say shape him, but I shifted to mold. <laughs> They were able to schmolder him. <laughs> they, they were able to mold him into, you know, the thing he eventually became. But in under other circumstances, he would have not developed into the greatest player of all, you know, of his generation, or one of the, I guess, alongside Messi. And then the last match on Saturday is the last quarterfinal, and I think the most exciting of the quarterfinals, even without a bias, and that is England versus France. And this is a pretty tight matchup in terms of betting perspective where England uh France are the slight favorite. Uh my mind I think strange for me uh, before I I think it's so they haven't played each other since 2017 which I thought to be pretty strange. I mean I like I haven't remembered them playing against each other in a while but it's it's kind of strange that in all these formats you have between World Cup, Euros, Nations League, UEFA Nations League and friendlies it's been almost six years that they've matched up against each other. Yeah. Uh, that, and that was obviously a weird uh, fixture. That was right after the terrorist attack in Paris that they played each other. So it was sort of played under unusual circumstances. Uh, but no, I mean, they haven't played each other much in major tournament history at all. So there's there's that element to throw in. I mean my only real memory of, of them playing each other in, you know, a competitive fixture is from 2004 when they played each other in the Euro group stages, England took a, took a lead. And then Zinedine Zidane scored two goals in injury time uh, to, to win it for France. So that kind of sticks out for me. Aside from that, I mean, they've only played each other once before. If you want to get super, super, like you want to be super superstitious, you want to say what signs, are the gods delivering in terms of what this means for England? They've only played each other once before in a World Cup, and that was in 1966, and that's the only time England have won the World Cup. So, <laughs> you know, our, oh wow, that's I mean, if, if that doesn't sell you, what will? <laughs> yeah, I mean, England won two nil on that occasion. So, if you think that you know history is repeating itself, if you give any kind of you know weight to that kind of record, then then maybe that's a positive sign for England. Um, France are the, rightfully the favorites. They are reigning World Cup champions. They are not the same side that they were four years ago. You know, they're missing Kante is huge for them and missing Pogba. It's easy to not think of Pogba as being a significant miss because he was so bad for United, but he's been good for France throughout that period. And Kante and Pogba next to each other were probably the best central midfield pairing in international football. So to be missing both of those players is huge. And especially Kante, because just the hard work that he puts in, he it's like having an extra central midfielder. You know, the, the distance he covers, the defensive work he puts in. And so, you know, he's irreplaceable really for them. Um, but this all boils down to a little bit, like the best player on the pitch is French, for sure, Kylian Mbappe. Can England stop him? Can they stop him enough, maybe? You know, they might... Maybe he'll score and England still win. You know, there's no... Sometimes people are talking about this as if it's like a binary outcome. Like, if Kylian Mbappe scores, England definitely lose. That doesn't have to be the case. Uh, so, you know, I think 
it's a big test for Kyle Walker. He's super confident coming into it. Uh, people have been showing plenty of clips of him doing a good job of containing Mbappe when they've played against each other in the past. They've played on several occasions. They also had the clip of Neymar saying that Kyle Walker is the most difficult defender he has ever played against. That's also come out. So, you know, there's a lot riding on this Kyle Walker performance on Saturday. But, you know, England will have to show some attacking threat as well if they're going to qualify. And that's going to boil down to Harry Kane, Phil Foden, and some others being able to do maybe a little, something a little bit magic. Two good, two very good teams filled with very good players. And I think France will, are the favorites. But I also think people are being overly pessimistic, pessimistic about England's chances. Like, this is a very good England team with very good players. And they can rightfully cause France as many problems as France can cause them. Yeah. yeah. And do you think there's any super recency bias here in the fact that pre-tournament i would say most people predicted france to be a quarterfinals team but that they had too many injuries to too many big players that they weren't going to be able to repeat what they had done at the last world cup whereas now they've seen a what two good matches and now all of a sudden oh i mean they won the world cup last time like what why wouldn't they win it again this year so do you think that people are overreacting to a few matches where they forgot already the fact that, you know, they're missing, what, three good starters on, from their starting 11 normally? Um, no, I mean, I think you have to take, you have to look at the form you have within the tournament and assess that and nothing more to a certain extent. But, you know, the fact that you've got, that so many of their players will not be, have been in this situation before and won, you know, the mindset element. We discussed it on the last episode where I said I felt like this is the first time this England team genuinely believed that they could win the World Cup. And then Harry Maguire came out and said exactly that in, an, in a press conference uh, either yesterday, I think. I think it was. Where he said, unlike 2018, when they got to the semifinal, but they didn't really feel like they were one of the five or six teams in with a realistic chance of winning it. So they were all kind of just happy to get to the semifinal. This time around, they feel like they're one of the five or six teams in with a chance of realistically winning the World Cup, and it's a different experience. So, I don't know. France have a good team, and maybe the best player on earth right now, and a player who can completely change a game. And England could be containing France for 60, 70, 80 minutes, and all of a sudden the, you know, the right ball played in behind, or Kylian Mbappe just being able to beat a man once, you know, the game can be stretched in three, four seconds because of just how quick he is and how dangerous he is on the ball. So it's right to fear them, but I think France will also be fearing what England, you know, can do. And it's worth noting, right, England are the only team coming into this quarterfinal with a, without a player having been booked. And that's only significant because two bookings mean you mix, miss the next round. So they at least have the luxury of kind of allowing anyone to get booked, which could be could matter. You know, the kind of professional foul that you can commit on uh, Mbappe as he, you know, Kyle Walker can happily pull him back once as he gets around the corner and not think, gosh, I'm going to miss the World Cup semifinal now. France have a couple of players who could potentially miss 
the semifinal. Some of the other teams have three or four players. And I don't think you play with that necessarily at the front of your mind, but it's definitely there. And from a management tactical standpoint, as a coach, it would be something you would be thinking about. Uh, so there's that element to throw in. I don't know. It could just come down to a moment of brilliance. And it's, I guess if that's the, that's the issue, if, if it's going to come down to a moment of brilliance, then you'd say like Mbappe is the most likely player to deliver that. Starting 11. Do you have the same as Senegal if you're England? So personally I would, but I don't think Southgate will. I do think he'll shift to five at the back. So I think he'll play Kyle Walker. He'll play three central defenders. So he'll shift Kyle Walker to being the, He'll keep Stones and Maguire, then he'll have Kyle Walker as the central defender on the right-hand side, primarily just there to try and cover for Mbappe, play Trippier and Shaw as wingbacks. Uh, and then the player that has to kind of give way, then it's it's the like attacking midfield. Henderson? No, he'll, I think he'll keep Henderson because he'll want Henderson for the experience, and I think he likes... Henderson gives the ball away for a lot, a lot for England, but he does take up very good positions. I will, especially in this World Cup, I think he's it's been impressive with some of the positions he's taken up. Even when England have been going forward, he's tended to then just immediately give the ball away or do something stupid. But he does. I think it will be Henderson and Bellingham next to each other in central midfield, Foden on the left, Saka on the right, Kane up front. And my fear there is so you're taking away Declan Rice, possibly, yeah. It's tough. It's tough, yeah. It's tough. I would like it if they played the same formation and had confidence. Um, because I think I, I think the best way to beat France is going to be to cause them troubles. And I think the best, the more likely way to do that is with England with four at the back. And I also think if England go out having shifted to five at the back, just to deal with France, it's like a negative look. I think it's sending. Um, it's, I think it's sending the wrong look to some of your players, and that we don't think the way we play can beat them. We've got to really adapt to them. And then also, I think it's the thing that could cal- it could, could conceivably cost Southgate his job. Is they lose this quarterfinal, and everyone says, "Why did you change? Like you had a winning, winning formula. Why did you shift to five at the back all of a sudden?" Maybe he'll surprise me. You never know. I hope they, if they just had exactly the same team out there um, that played against Senegal, I'd be I'd be fine with that. And then obviously, I guess you'll have Sterling on the bench for this one, which you didn't have. He's now back in the squad after his family were robbed and he went he missed the last match going back to England to deal with that. So he's back. So I guess Sterling on the bench. I don't think he'll play. Um. But and I guess the other thing he might do if he switches to five at the back, he might play Rashford then instead of Saka, because he might want more of a goal scoring threat from those players, and it, he might even think that you can then shift to almost a four four two in attack, and it, so like five 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 four one when you're defending and 4-4-2 when you're attacking. If you see what I mean, you push the fullbacks up as into midfield. Uh, sorry, there's three. three uh, yeah, anyway. But I, I, I would be interested to see um, what he does. Yeah, it's... So I guess if you're saying he's going to be going to that more defensive formation, 
your prediction then would be a low scoring match? Not necessarily. I don't think that will necessarily, you know, I think, I think there'll be three or four goals. And it won't necessarily work, I, I guess. Yeah. You know, but I mean, if, if, if you, if, if he's putting out that formation is his goal, then England win one nil two one. Oh, I, is that, that's, is that what he's shooting? For? That's always his goal. I mean, that's, that's, again, we've discussed it several times in the past, right? But Gareth Southgate is open about the fact that he's studied the history books and said, well, the best defensive teams win international competitions. So he would take a 1-0, an ugly own goal from France, you know, no shots on target from England, France 15 attempts on goal, but, you know, don't score. He'd take it. He doesn't care about the performance. And you don't need to care about the performance as long as you win. You know, that's always the issue. The problem is this England team is so talented that if they have a bad performance and they don't win, that people will be critical of him if they feel as if he limited their abilities. And that was the criticism leveled at him after the Euros with the performance in the, in the final. And, you know, I guess what I would hope is let's not, if he does try and show any attacking intent, intent, I hope he does one of two things. Well, I hope one or two things happen. If England score as quickly or relatively early as they did against Italy in the final, I hope that he keeps going, keeps the team going forward and doesn't then try and sit back and defend a lead. Or I hope if they're going to score first, they don't score in the you know third minute. I hope that it's a little bit later in the match so that you don't have to suddenly put him in a position where he wants to defend for 90 minutes. So then what's your prediction? Uh, I'll say 2-1. And Hart says 2-1 England and Head says 2-1 France. That's a cop out. I'll say England then. I, I, I actually think, I, I think England, I, this, this is a weird juxtaposition. I think England are the better team. I think France are the worthy favorites because of just some of their quality in key areas and some of that experience. But I do think across the board, England are a better team. So, you know, this could be a coming of age match for a lot of England players. This could be writing yourselves into the history books as an England team. Or it could just be, this is what we've seen from England before, get to the quarterfinals, lose. Because I've seen that a lot in my lifetime. I think England are going to win this. I think they're going to, I think it's going to be, 3-1. I, I mean, I would love that, especially as someone living in France, and the French are so annoying. Like I know when, <laughs> if France win, I know I'm going to get messages from people who never watch football matches telling me how happy they are and how disappointed I must be. And I also know if England win, I'm never going to hear any like congratulatory texts from them, and those people are going to disappear and never watch the world the remainder of the World Cup. Like they're such fair weather fans, you know. Like every remaining match for France now is their final, not because of the significance, but because otherwise none of them will care. Um, but you know, hopefully, hope. I guess. I guess. Speaking of which, my my mother did ask, "Who is Eddie going to be supporting in this match?" <laughs> Uh, if you think I'm anti-American, I'm even more anti-French. So, 
we just don't have the opportunity to speak about that enough. I mean, it, you know, when you put it that way, you just sound English. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's the most English aspect that I have. But no, no, there's no part of me. There's no part of me that wants France to win this match, and there's no part of me that wants France to win this World Cup. I find f- French football fans to be insufferable. And like watching this World Cup alongside them, everything that the referees are is against them. Every time one of their players falls down, it's a red card. Every time they commit a foul, it's the referee's incorrect decision. You know, and these are sometimes people even with a good understanding of the sport. They're just imbeciles when it comes to watching their own teams play and they become so biased. And to me, French commentary is biased. You know, like everything about it is biased. And I, yeah, I... The ball boys are biased. I just, I just, <laughs> yeah, I I really, really, really don't want them to win. So they'll probably win because that's the way the world works, right? But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm hopeful. But I'm, I am fully prepared for the disappointment of Saturday evening of sitting there as the full-time whistle goes and watching, you know, some England players falling to the floor and killing Mbappe with his big dumb smile on his face ah you have to call a smile dumb (laughs) sorry a smile on his big dumb face is that better you prefer it that (laughs) way around uh but it's it's also just worth adding ollie who obviously joined us to make his world cup predictions if brazil argentina england and portugal all win and he will have nailed his prediction for what the semifinal would be. I think if that happens, we will allow him to come back for the next episode to to congratulate him and and let him continue his his predictions and give some more insight leading into the semifinal matches. Okay, we'll agree to that deal. I'm sure he'll happily come back on and it's worth then just adding to that, he so he had those four teams making the semifinals. He then had, he said he really wanted to pick Portugal, but he picked England to win that. Because he said part of him was tempted to pick Portugal to win the World Cup. But he would pick England to beat Portugal in the next round, Brazil to beat Argentina, and then he had England beating Brazil in the final. So I really hope uh, Ollie's right. And I don't say that often. Yeah, I hope he continues to be right. Hope his luck doesn't end now. <laughs> probably, probably will, because I've not seen Ollie be right about things for a sustained period of time when it comes to his sporting <laughs> predictions. So the chances <laughs> that he gets it, it keeps going for four weeks seems unlikely. The real question is, did he bet those matches or did he do his normal thing and bet over three and a half corners in the first half <laughs> in this match and over 1.5 shots on goal for Mbappe in this match, <laughs> coupled with over two touchdown passes for Tua and Sunday's football. <laughs> we'll have to ask him when he gets back on. But yeah, it's um, I'm I'm nervous, and I'm going to be nervous going into Saturday. I know I'm going to wake up on Saturday with nerves, which is it's the fun part about being a sports fan, right? Is that's when to me that's when it's worth it is carrying that passion passionately when you have that excitement and the tension building, even though you have fundamentally nothing to do with it. So so if you are not a fan of French football and you're living in Paris, are you watching this at home, bunkered down in your apartment, solo? 
No, I would really like to. There's two reasons why I will not. One is I get my, I get foreign television in my house, which means that it is 10 to... Well, you get, you don't get foreign television, don't you? Wait, what? What would be considered foreign television? Not French. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm not in France. Like I'm in France, right? So anything not French is foreign. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I get I get British television in my house, which means that because of the there way that's go. then delivered, I have a 10 second delay based on delay. like French, the direct French streams, which means that everyone else in my building, I would hear the goals before they go in, and that's not tolerable for like an England France match because I'll just no, the writing's on the wall. I might not hear England score, I will say, because that might just get the, like a you know, weird yelp. And then I'd have to interpret, like, what did that mean? It could mean a mischance for France, but it could mean England scored. It would be difficult to assess, but I would definitely know every time France scored. Um, so I will be watching it in a bar. But in a bar that will be predominantly, hopefully, filled with non-French people. It is a risk. There will there will certainly be French people there. There will be, but there'll be the ones who've openly chosen to be surrounded by non-French people, so they might not be quite as annoying. Uh, the good thing about the French, either way, win or lose, as soon as the match is over, you're in a bar, they're gone. They do not hang around. So that's my other criticism of them, is like you'll be in a packed bar. For starters, they barely drink during a match. You know, you, At most, you might get a pint, a half out of them. But a lot of them will turn up for a huge match, have a Coke, sip on that Coke for 90 minutes. Like they got no, which I'm not being critical of someone for not drinking. I just don't know why you go to a packed bar to sip a Coke and, and you know, be standing. And it's not like there's some incredible. They want the atmosphere. It's rarely an incredible atmosphere. It's more just annoying. You know, you're just standing You're like shoulder to shoulder people kind of standing there. And then literally full time whistle goes, coats on, drinks down, out the door. That's the, you know, they, maybe when they win the World Cup, then they do just their annoying celebrations. They'll set some flares off and they'll yell some stupid phrases in the street. But, you know, apart from that. I do know the bar that you're going to will not be the bar that we've previously watched uh, England match where we had a commentator, not a commentator, a, a fellow bar patron count down the minutes every minute leading up to the end of the match that that saw england uh uh lose very or not didn't lose they, they drew. drew right yeah it was against russia they drew at the very end um, yeah it was against russia in the no not against russia it was in the russian world cup they did england play in the anyway no it was against russia in the euros yeah, it was during Euro 2016, and when they conceded the late yeah. equalizer, we drew one all. And yeah, when it got to injury time, he started counting down to like six minutes to go. And yeah, I could have killed him. I would have put a bar stool through his uh, head. One of the most angry I've ever seen you at a bar. <laughs> Again, because I'm superstitious. I, I gave him the. I told him to stop doing it before they conceded the goal, right? So I wasn't even just I know. wise after the fact. Like I am superstitious with stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm kind of torn because. I love the atmosphere of going to a to bar to watch it. I won't be going to the 
super English bar that I've gone to in the past. That's an insane atmosphere. I need to kind of stay local in town. Um, but there are a few bars that I could go to that would be a good atmosphere. My only downside is I have a very nice television at home and they're now putting the matches in 4k. It's one of the first things I've ever seen in 4k and it does make a difference. Like it is a very nice picture. So it is really nice to sit at home with a 70 inch television in 4k and watch the match by myself. But it is at noon here in, in Arizona. So it's like a great lunchtime, go out, have a few drinks, eat, you know, get a good meal and watch the match. So I'm, I'm kind of torn back and forth as to what I'm going to do. And I think I, I am kind of with you. I think I'm going to have to wake up and see how I'm feeling and whether I kind of just want to like sit at home and kind of just not be annoyed to go watch and have people who are French supporters start screaming and getting annoying, you know, and, I'm going to have to make a game time decision, I think. My preference, as I said, would be at home. If I weren't in an apartment building, if I didn't have the kind of latency, uh, I would I would be at home. But it's not. I can't do that for this. Uh, maybe if England were in like not playing France in the semifinals or, or even in the final, then I might contemplate having people over at home because then I don't have to worry about their goal reaction so much. But against France, I can't do it. I will say another reason to be confident in England, though, they will have a secret weapon on Saturday. Some people think that secret weapon is Kyle Walker, although I don't really understand how people are classifying as a secret weapon. The real secret weapon. Is it your toothbrush? I will have my toothbrush on me. So you can, Wait, wait. No, 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 no. You are not going to bring your toothbrush to a bar. I am bringing my toothbrush to the bar if England need a goal. Are you willing? So you're willing to go into the bathroom yep. and brush your teeth yep. at a bar? Yep. Let me side let me sidebar everyone here. This bar has the hottest bathroom on planet Earth. When Eddie will be brushing his teeth in his bathroom, he will be dripping in sweat because the bathroom is about 30 degrees Celsius on the coldest day of the year and about 50 degrees Celsius in the middle of the summer. I will have my toothbrush. I will have a, a brand new toothbrush in my pocket. And if in the last five, 10 minutes, England need a goal, that toothbrush will be out and I will be in the bathroom brushing my teeth. I will not brush my teeth during a penalty shootout. So before people ask, before I get text messages, I will not be doing that. But if England need either in at the, towards the end of 90 minutes or towards the end of extra time, if England are need of, in the need of one goal to equalize, I'm not going to go to the bathroom for a winner. I'm not, you know, I will... I'm drawing a line somewhere, but if they're down by one, I will go to the bathroom. I will brush my teeth. Brush your teeth in the sauna. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take one for the team. I cannot believe this is... <laughs> You've done a lot of questionable things over the years. <laughs> this good rank some of the some of the weirdest, strangest things you have ever done. I got to do it. I can't have... I can't have such a powerful tool at my disposal and then just leave it at home when my country might need me the most, you know, it's, and this is a commitment. I'm carrying this over tomorrow, semifinal, if need be final, if need be. Now, will you require me then to wear the same Jersey I wore for the last match? No. Cause I, okay. cause 
I expected them to win. I don't think you can if if you win if you wear something that for this match, then I would encourage you to wear that for the semifinal and the final. I'll say that much. But I, I will I will give you this. You'll be happy to know that I had ordered an England jersey and it still has not yet arrived Great. so we're not getting the bad luck it's probably going to be delivered saturday arriving. morning if if it delivers today or tomorrow i am going to wear it and i i will tell oh, you dear. the player i got if it comes in oh no we oh yeah we'd say we'd play this game can i guess who you got yeah you can guess who i got if, if you do you want to put that energy out there well, yeah because the shirt hasn't arrived so i don't think it changes okay. anything I'm going to say you... Do you want to know who I already have or no? You have Kane already, don't you? You're nodding. It's an yes. audio podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I have one other one, too. Who else do you have? I have Grealish. Okay, that's important because from, from Grealish would have been high on the list of guesses, although I think I already guessed in Grealish via text and you told me no. Uh, I know you have a Saka Arsenal jersey. Is it a Saka? Is it a Saka England jersey? No. Uh, Jude Bellingham. Yes. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> An integral component oh. of the starting eleven. <laughs> oh. Well, Jude, it was good while it lasted. Uh. Hopefully, you can sign a contract before this jersey goes in. Hopefully you can get a good transfer because your career is about to go down. Yeah. You, you, you can, you know, you'll be up there with the likes of Wayne Rooney, who had, you know, a great tournament as a teenager for England. I want to throw that out there. There's a lot of been, there's been a lot of discussion. Jude Bellingham, I think, is a fantastic player. I also think the way he carries himself, and like everything about him, just instills confidence and. To be doing that, the maturity he shows at 19 years old is incredible. Like it's impossible to listen to him speak or to just see how he conducts himself and think that he's 19. It's super, super impressive. And the decisions he's taken in his career, like going, making the taking the risk of going to Germany and playing in Borussia, for Borussia Dortmund, like that's an unconventional path for an English player, and he deserves credit for doing that as well. That being said, some there's been a lot of discussion. Is he the greatest? teenage player for England ever at a major tournament. And I think people are, are forgetting how good Wayne Rooney was at Euro 2004 because he was unbelievable. And had he not broken his foot, so this maybe this is awful foreshadowing for what might be about to happen to Jude Bellingham with that shirt. Had he not broken his foot, I think England probably would have won Euro 2004. So it's always one of those interesting things. Like if you don't deliver on that and Wayne Rooney had a fantastic career. He probably just never reached the heights that it looked like he might reach based on how good he was when he was young. But it's a little bit disrespectful from people to just not even remember. We're only talking 18 years ago and people can't even remember an incredible set of performances from there. But Jude Bellingham has been, been fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic while it lasted. Can you quickly go online and order a Kylian Mbappe shirt, please? <laughs> just just throw, Maybe. throw whatever Duke a curse you can onto this French team. Actually, I'm surprised you didn't comment. I put up a picture of me in, a, in another jersey last week, and you didn't make one comment on it. 
Oh, so I was quite shocked. That was your Le- the Leeds United jersey that you were wearing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw it. I, I don't like it as much as you do, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really nice. Yeah, but to each their own. It, to be noted, it was Tyler Adams, worn on the day that Tyler Adams got burnt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Just so people are starting to understand why Eddie is concerned for Jude Bellingham. Anyone who's listened to the podcast for any significant period of time will be aware of what the Duke of Curse is. Not because I we haven't retold all of the stories of the, the Duke of Curses over the years, but they will have witnessed. And like, I promise you, if you're a new listener, if you listen to the podcast for four to five months, you'll hear some Duke of Curses. So prepare yourself. Sometimes you don't want Frank saying nice things about the people you like. That's why Justin Herbert will never win a Super Bowl. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope. But yeah. All right. Have you started to watch Andor yet, Eddie? No. What are you doing? Well, work is super busy. And then I've got the World Cup to deal with. So, you know, most of my TV, honestly, this is the first week because obviously there have been nights off. But up until yesterday and today, I've been watching the World Cup every night. So I know for you it's a little bit different because it's during the day. So you then go home and then you have an evening free. Like for me, every single evening until 10 o'clock at night, I've had World Cup. Don't fucking gaslight me. (laughs) How is that gaslighting you? That is your reality. That's 100% your reality. Um, uh, but yeah, so no, that will, I'll, I'll give that a, that'll be a January project for me, you know, like things okay. slow down, then we got the NFL playoffs, but things slow down yeah. and, uh, I mean, you'll have plenty of time before season two comes out. So, and then this Sunday is the finale of white Lotus. Not been watching that at all. It's, it's the white Lotus. I don't know. Doesn't interest people, me in any way. People like I don't know. Yeah, I just enjoy because I I enjoy TV shows where it's pretty dialogue heavy. I kind of like that, just the way characters interact with each other and and discuss. And so I can enjoy it that way. But people blow it very much out of proportion with their like crazy theories and all these you know like what's connected to this and to that. And I, I don't know. People people take it for a little more I think than it's worth. Yep. But a good show. No, I mean, all the reviews are good. It's just not my type of TV show. I'm not knocking it. It's just, I'm... Yeah, this is not a show you can watch in YouTube clips. You would not get any satisfaction out of watching a clip of it. That's where you're wrong. You're not a YouTube clip guy. You don't understand how it works. I've been... You you want to talk about dialogue-heavy shows. I've been re-watching tons of YouTube clips of The West Wing. Now, I've seen every episode of The West Wing previously. (laughs) But I've been, I've been going in pretty heavily. <laughs> this show, this episode in particular, has given a great insight into your life. I would. You're watching clips of the West Wing yeah. on YouTube and bring a toothbrush into a bar <laughs> to watch the football match. I've also been going down a darker rabbit hole on YouTube, but I don't know if I want to mention it on the podcast because it's it's more depressing. But okay, let's leave that out then. <laughs> It's on YouTube, so it's within limits, right? Like, it's not, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's something that I've flirted with in the past. It's I, but it's been maybe uh, two thousand and eight was the last time where this was uh, 
a rabbit hole for me, and I'm 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 back in it. I'm back in the Warren. Well, do you have any positive things you'd like to discuss before you leave? Ah, the West Wing's not negative. Um, I guess not. No, I like I love the West Wing. The West Wing is like the best possible version of American democracy. Like everyone's super intelligent, committed to actually having the country run well. They're happy. Like Democrats and Republicans occasionally work together on common goals. Like it's, you know, it is an idealistic image of what the American democratic experience could be like. But uh... actually, I've got one for you. I've got a closing topic if you want. So hopefully this doesn't doesn't spoil a, a Christmas gift, but I'll put it this way. One side of my family is collecting recipes to make a family recipe book that then they will give to our grand, my grandparents and then also the family as like a nice Christmas gift, yeah. like a nice family gift. Yeah. So every person has to give at least one recipe. Do you know what your recipe would be that you would give? My mother actually tried to do something similar to this maybe five or six you years told ago. Her to fuck off. Huh? <laughs> you told her, I don't cook. No, I mean, I do cook. I, I, but it was then it was more about like actual kind of family recipes and having them in one place and it could be passed down through generations and like as a nice way yeah. of preserving things that otherwise, you know, me, for example, it's like, oh, I can't remember how my grandmother made that. How do I? And, uh, you know, like my mother has it written down in one version in for herself, but it was the idea of like her and my aunts and stuff kind of compiling that and having it all together. It never came to fruition, I will say. So I hope that your version does. But do I, would I know what my go-to was if I had to contribute it would be tough. Like if I'm contributing it to a family recipe book, I assume it's something that I would have had to have cooked for my family previously. Otherwise it's kind of... No, not necessarily. It could just be like the thing that you like most often cook or you think you make really well that would be worthy of having other people copy your technique and recipe. I have a couple things. Give me a second and I'll try and narrow it down. What are you contributing? So I have two. So mine are, <laughs> you're going to love this actually. This is going to be really funny. So my first one is uh, slow cooker carnitas, uh, pork carnitas. And we do them either on the smoker or in the slow cooker. So I'll do like both versions of the recipe, but they're pretty much the same. Um, and then the other one is going to be empanadas. And the recipe yes. is about 95. It's about 95% of the recipe from the book that we got at the place in Paris. Well, you're, you're also, I've slightly tweaked the recipe. You're also going to trigger people because in all the time I've known you, you've never said that word right. I know. I do it purposely for oh, you. <laughs> it's like the Jemias. Um, yeah. 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 I don't know what I would do. It's, it's a tough question in a way because I have lots of things I like cooking and stuff but I would probably be trying to and that's the danger is right not is like is it a go-to recipe for you or is it the type of recipe you would do like if you were having people over that you'd want to impress them with the most like which yeah which way are you going on the like daily recipe scale like what do I do if I've got 20 minutes to cook but I want to make something nice that's a very different recipe to I'm having people over to dinner I've got two days 
what do I go and buy, prepare, and all that stuff. Yeah. I also might do Beef Wellington just because now my dad and I do it every year for Christmas. And we also have some like really nice pictures actually of the Beef Wellington we've made. So I could put that in the recipe book as well. <laughs> I don't know why I find that amusing. Just the picture element. <laughs> but I do. Oh, that's cool though. I think that's a very nice idea. Uh, that's a cool idea. So there's a positive message from me. There you go. All right. Well, I guess with that, we'll call it a day and uh, hope this toothbrush brings you luck. I hope I don't need the toothbrush. You know, it's it's like having, it's like well, you always need a toothbrush, Eddie. Well, no, you One do. But this is like being the president and having the red button. I don't want to press it. You know, I don't want to to fire off my nuclear arsenal. I don't. Uh... So now your toothbrushing superstition is equivalent to the to the uh, the power of a nuclear bomb. Yep. Multiple, actually. I'm not limiting it to just one. This is this is multiple. This excellent. Is, and I I don't want to use it. With great power comes great responsibility, and I hope that that responsibility is not called upon. I hope England are three nil up, and I toss that toothbrush right in the trash. But all right, Peter Parker. Yeah. I guess I'll talk to you. Although later. that's a risk. <laughs> I will not toss it in the trash because then if they blow the lead, I'd have to be digging it out of the trash to then brush my teeth with and I probably would sink that low so yeah true so.